Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, welcome back. As always, thank you for listening and... Please don't forget that Speak It On has a Patreon page, and any any donation or help that you could give this ministry would be greatly appreciated. And blessings to you. So I've been on a little bit of a tangent on church leadership lately. And partially because of some just general observations on my own part because I spent 20 years in church leadership in music ministry, youth ministry and so forth and uh, because of that I get a little sensitive about where the church is and where it's going so there's some changes occurring and I don't know that these changes are bad. In many ways, I think they're good, but in some ways, I think they can be bad. So, this has to do with uh, with church leadership in general. Now, what's interesting, there's a flow, a decrease in mainline denominations, and an increase in independent churches. I don't know that that's a bad thing. I don't know that that's a bad thing. And this is coming from somebody who's been in a mainline denomination forever. All right. So, and I also don't want to say this is old guard versus new guard, even though in some ways it is. But let me just give you some observations, okay? First of all, as I mentioned, there is a flow away from mainline denominations. Why is that? Well, probably, and this is just my thought, when you do the same dang thing over and 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 over a million times, year after year after year, and people don't see the benefit and by that I don't necessarily mean um, they don't see the results of that kind of stuff they don't see the love huh they don't see the love they some people check out mainline churches and they just don't see the love now is it possible that they just didn't get the right mainline church yeah it's entirely possible But for whatever reason, mainline denominations are shrinking a little bit. Now, let's look back at the 80s. And a lot of people are going, whoa, what the heck? 80s, what do you mean? I gotta gotta tell you, the 80s were, uh, were crazy in Christian community because you had a lot of people really active in the Christian community and politics and everything else 
in politics and in, in society and prayer and schools and man there was a lot of hand to hand going on a lot of uh, a lot of churches uh, Christian contemporary music was at its zenith at that point um you know, Michael W. Smith was in his heyday. Stephen Curtis Chapman was in his heyday. People were blowing doors. And a lot of pastors were in their prime at that point. Okay? Now, why, are you, why am I mentioning the 80s? Because we're not in the 80s anymore. Right? Yeah. You're probably going, duh. Well, here's the thing. Those guys are ready to retire. And they're and unfortunately, there's a tendency when you get to retirement age to coast. All right? Because you're thinking, man, I put a lot of years in, you know, I deserve a rest. Well, by cracky, you know, I deserve a rest. So I'm just going to coast until I hit retirement magic number I've got in my head and then I'm gonna you know clock out and then go to my little house and you know just attend somewhere as a regular person which to be quite honest never actually happens because even retired pastors tend to be really interactive in their churches not always in a good way but anyway Let's just say that if you got a, a pastor who's who's uh, who's coasting, okay, and they've put a lot of years in, well, that's you know you can look at it. You can say, hey, you know, you know, put a lot of time and effort in. So, okay. Well, the complication is is when the world's on blooming fire. And you're on the deck of the Titanic, and the Titanic's going down. And you're saying, I think I'll just sit over here in this deck chair. You know? I've been working hard. Well, you're not going to get to retirement. Not the retirement you envisioned. Because the world is fixing to turn upside blooming down. And that's kind of where we're at. So when you have a pastor or pastors who are coasting. Dude, um, that's, that's a problem. Especially now. Now, here's what's going on, though. People, you know, and, and people aren't completely oblivious to a pastor that's coasting when you go into a church. Now... Part of the thing also, and, and a lot of the 80s pastors, okay, a lot of them, not all of them, I know some that are still going hand-to-hand combat, man, they're, they're in it, okay, so I don't, I don't mean to, to broad brush, but I'm just saying, you see a pastor who's coasting, you walk in that church, you can tell, you can kind of, I mean, you kind of get the environment that, oh, wow, when you listen to the sermons especially, because Basically, it was like they were put together by a middle schooler. I mean, they're very, very, very light. 
don't get into deep stuff very often. Don't get into any challenging jazz very often. But anyway. Now, the trend going to independent churches, it's not such a bad thing, but let me tell you what a hazard is. All right? Because I was just looking at a pastor's credentials the other day in a church. Just kind of looking at his resume. Uh, didn't see any Bible school or Bible training in there at all. Now, here's the, th- here's the thing, okay? I'm not an individual who believes that you have to have a seminary degree to pastor a church. Okay? I'm not one of those people. Now, in some uh, pieces of the world, you're not going to be able to pastor a church unless you do, because if you're a, from a liturgical uh, community, uh, liturgical high church tradition, uh, if you're you know if you're Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, you know any flavors of those Anglican, you're going to have to have a seminary degree. I mean, that's just going to have to do it. But if you're an independent, you know, if you're in an independent church, there's some churches that don't require it. But here's the thing, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But you really have to walk through this person's stuff real, real hard because you don't know where they got their jazz from, and you need to ask them. And they need and they need to be able to tell you specifically. And anyone that gets ambiguous with you, if you're on a pulpit committee and you're asking a question, hey, what do you think of the doctrine of salvation? What do you think of Jesus? You know, what do you think of the divinity of Jesus? What do you think the structure of the church is like? And that person goes off into, oh well, the Holy Spirit told me such and such. Well. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm of the opinion the Holy Spirit can talk to people. All right, inside. Some people say they hear it audibly. Mm-hmm. But here's the here's the deal. Uh, a lot of people use that as an excuse to tell you I just made that stuff up. <laughs> oh well, I did studying on my own. Well, studying on your own is great. What books did you read? Where'd you get your ideas from? Oh, the Holy Spirit just told me, and I just figured it out from the Bible. Okay, well, now we're into screwball territory. All right? Because uh, a lot of people get a lot of really weird jazz coming from, from thin air. And sometimes they don't check jazz out to figure out what kind of spirit's speaking to them. And it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's why people gravitate to biblical degrees and Bible college and stuff like that. Because at least if you got somebody like that, you can go back to that school, look up the classes, say, okay, you took an MDiv at this particular school. You can get online, you can look up those classes, and then you can read them. And you can say, you know, he should know this stuff. Okay. That looks pretty good. Or, whoa, this school's really screwy. Um... Man, it's teaching all kinds of weird junk. I have no idea where this came from, but it sure didn't look like it came from the Bible. You can figure out a lot of stuff doing that. Now, 
what gets me a little bit about pulpit committees in some ways is, is and pulpit committees are mainly a tool of non-liturgical churches because a liturgical church in many ways uh, they have a organization that is set up that appoints the pastor in other words it's not the congregation necessarily in full control it's the, it's the group the itself used to be in Methodist circles the church would be appointed a pastor okay now in non-liturgical circles and evangelical non-liturgical stuff you, you know you talk about your Baptist assembly God and independence and so forth and Church of Christ and so and such and such uh, the church would send a committee the committee would look for an individual and then they would uh, listen to what he had to say and then have an interview or two or three or four and maybe have them come and preach at the church see what the people think and then kind of evaluate people from there Uh, pulpit committee in my opinion and this really just just kicks it, but there's one of the most sensitive committees you could possibly be on. First of all, most of the time, people have to browbeat individuals of the church to get them to serve on a committee. I mean, it's emotional blackmail to get people to serve on a committee, and they're part of the church. They're supposed to. It's it's part of what we're supposed to do. I have served on committees. I serve on a committee now. And I will be honest to goodness truthful. I wasn't super forthcoming as I should have been to serve on the committee. But here's the thing. Oddly enough, when the pulpit committee comes up, a lot of people just, man, they... they go toe-to-toe to be on that that committee because, oh, I get to pick the pastor because they get power trip out of it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, shouldn't be any power trip. Anybody you got that wants to be on that committee for a power trip needs to be off that committee for the same dang reason because that is the very thing you don't need on a committee of that nature. You need someone on that committee Who knows how to ask really good questions and how to and how to look at stuff very carefully? Because however you want to look at you know vetting you know selecting a pastor slash bishop slash elder is a super super sensitive thing and it's long lasting, or at least it used to be. Sometimes pastors get canned faster faster than they get hired. But the thing is, it's important, super important. Now, I think in a prior podcast, I've mentioned that, that one of the things that just really gets me about people who are hiring pastors 
is that a lot of times they don't really give a flying flip what the dude teaches. And as long as he's got or she's got a seminary degree from the seminary they like. So as long as they're the flavor of the day, it's cool. And I gotta tell you, that can be a recipe for disaster. You don't know what they believe unless you dig. And to dig, you gotta ask a lot of questions. It is important. And a lot of times, you can get a nut job just as easy from a seminary of your choice than from another seminary. Now, case in point, I know a minister right now had a good degree from a seminary on the other side of the United States, and he came into the mid midwestern area of the United States and tried to get a job. Couldn't get a job. Why? Because he didn't have a degree from the seminary in the area. Because, and, and I'll just be honest, a lot of seminary is networking. Now that sounds just, you know, oh, what, what do you mean? You're supposed to have a wonderful spiritual experience there. I had a preacher tell me straight up, dude, if you're going to seminary for a spiritual experience, you're going to be disappointed, possibly. If you're going there for an education, then you have you have a shot. It's networking. A lot of pastors and preachers and music and youth people get hired by the people that they know in seminary. It happens. And that's that professional thing, you know, that kind of irks me a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it, it, because that's, quote-unquote, the spiritual world, right? These are supposed to be, you know, the wonderful glowing men of God, right? women of God. Now, is there anything, in, you know, inherently wrong with so with doing networking no people do it all the time I do it all the time for secular jobs but I think what happens is when you really hyper institutionalize the, the poop out of something then you shove God right out the blooming door and you don't let the Holy Spirit talk to anybody And then you get the you get the guy or the the lady that looks great on paper, and then when you get them in your door, they're absolute wreck. Now, can it happen just the opposite? Sure, yeah. But here's what I'm saying: we have to look at the individual, and now that you've got this idea and then by the way there's a million seminaries out there now I mean you can just throw a stick shut your eyes throw a stick and probably hit one seminaries everywhere and you gotta really look into the seminaries as well because if you there are some seminaries that don't believe in the Bible believe me they don't and there are other seminaries that believe the, that 
a, that a, a weird feeling in the seat of their pants is just as good as the written word. And that's a little weird. Yeah. And by that I mean, you know, oh, the Spirit told me something yesterday, and, and, and it's totally opposite from the Word of God, but hey, I'm going with that. Well, you're losing it. So, the new trend the new trend is not emphasizing seminary as much. And let and I just gotta tell you, you know, also seminary training now is way different. <laughs> not a lot of deep diving sometimes, depending on the seminary that you're in. Not a lot of deep diving. It ought to be thorough. More often than not, it's kind of a survey of everything. And then they kind of leave it up to you in the in the church to dig deep, and that never that rarely is a good environment for that to completely happen because people don't do stuff all the time unless they're required to do it. Now, um, getting back to this pastor I, I saw at a church pretty big church he didn't have anything and he was online giving bible advice and stuff you know hey look up my sermon notes or look up my bible study notes once again and as I was reading some of those notes I was noticing he had some weird ideas about certain things because and, and it had to do with lack of information not that he was totally trying to be weird but he he didn't have some info. A pastor teacher is a past is a teacher teacher is a teacher a teacher preacher, and they need to be someone who really enjoys and studies the Bible hardcore. Yeah, don't show me. A pastor with a big library. Show me a pastor with a library of a book books that he's read. When you walk into a pastor's library, grab a book off the shelf and say, "Tell me about this book," and he says something or she says something about it. That's amazing. I mean, just a random book. Do it like five times. See what happens. There's a lot of pastors got a whole lot of books. Eh? They whole lot don't read. But a lot of them do. So I believe in seminary training. I do believe in formal training for everyone. Everyone. The pew and the pulpit. I would love to see a day where the preacher could get up and just point at someone in the congregation and say, would you give the sermon today? And that person walk up, open the Bible, and give an awesome sermon. That would be freaking awesome. That's that's the church that would be just blowing doors. So... There's a few verses that I'm going to leave with you. 
2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. And this is Peter. Peter was not your intellectual giant. That was Paul. But Peter was with the Lord. And he did his own research. And here's what he had to say. He said, So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. 18. One more time. Grow in the grace and knowledge and the knowledge, grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Study. And the people that are teaching you uh, ask a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions. And if they don't have seminary, that's not a reason to throw them out the door. But they need to tell you specifically where they got their Bible stuff from. Their Bible knowledge. You know, and if they say, oh, I got it on my own. Well, that's great. What books did you get it? And what were you reading? Well, I was reading the Bible. Okay. And then who was giving you the other information? Because once again... You got somebody that's 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 extrapolating stuff all on their little lonesome and ignoring all the other people out there that are smart, smart, smart. It's like Peter said, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And by the way, also the destruction of the people in the church. So I've said it once and I'll say it again. I really believe a pastor ought to be in the top five smartest Bible knowledge people in any room they walk into, especially in their church. Especially in their church. So with that thought in mind, I want you to keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. As always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.